Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with my good friend Tom Dorian. Tom, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fine. You know, we're rolling out the red carpet again today. I see it. We're all dressed up. We got uh, cloth napkins and whatnot. White linen tablecloth. That's right. Our bishop's here, and so we want to make sure we put on a good, uh, good set a good table for him. I, you did a good job. <laughs> well, I appreciate. We need that. to I give Rita it. Rita a compliment. Is on Rita that. our she, waitress? She's our waitress. She did the whole thing. So she's the one that put the little centerpiece together too. That's she pretty. Did. Yeah. That's nice. Well, yeah. that's good. Well, it's wonderful. And you know what we're talking about today? Yes, we're talking about the bishop's new pastoral letter going to be a great topic. That's right. It's called Living Our Catholicism That Our Joy May Be Complete. And so we've invited the bishop here to talk about that. What a treat. That's right. It is going to be a treat. And without any further ado, let's welcome the bishop of the Diocese of Memphis here in Tennessee, Bishop J. Terry Stein. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always good to be back with the white cloth and the (laughs) coffee on the table. Thank you. Well, we love to have you here. So now, would you like something to drink or eat while you're here? Tom, well, if you do have a cup of coffee, I'll take that with cream Tom and sugar. Tom was betting that you would eat a you know, um, piece of pie or something. Or a bologna sandwich. A bologna sandwich. <laughs> a Dorian. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll leave that option open if the bishop wants coffee that Coffee and a bologna sandwich. All right. We'll have Rita take care of that. Ooh, that doesn't well, sound good. Bishop, let's, uh, let's step right into the topic here, mm-hmm. the topic of the day. We're talking about your new pastoral letter. Uh, but before we talk about the actual letter itself, you know, a lot of our listeners might not really know maybe what the role of the bishop is, but more specifically, when a bishop writes a pastoral letter, what's the purpose in general of a pastoral letter? Well, it simply is a letter that the bishop writes to his people, uh, a letter in which he's talking about maybe a specific topic uh, or what he wants the people of his diocese to know in general. It's kind of a way of instructing them to in the faith. Um, years ago, sometimes the bishops would write a letter that would be read after the after the mass for the for the people. Uh, but more more now, we you simply write pastoral letters of specific topics that we talk about that we want our people to know, and not just simply to know, but also to discuss and to talk about them themselves as they grow in the faith. Well, obviously, you don't just write them on a whim and you just decide, well, think I, today we'll write about this topic. There's obviously a reason behind writing these pastoral letters, and this one in particular, Living Our Catholicism, That Our Joy May Be Complete. Obviously, you felt compelled, driven, called by the Holy Spirit, however you want to look at it, to write this letter. What specifically was going on in, in, in your diocese here in Memphis that caused you to, to feel the need to write this letter? Well, actually, about a year and a half ago, I was beginning to question with our people about their sense of church. What does church mean for them? I was particularly uh, interested in how sometimes we have seemed to secularize our church, and we were asking the questions of, uh, what's in it for me? Uh, uh, what's the minimum I have to do? And, and I was trying to say to our people that our church is not this club or this organization or this society or um, something we have to pay our dues to and we're okay, that it is a way of life. It's certainly not like a checklist that you have to go down and you're just checking things off and you're a, a, you're a church member. That's correct. That's correct. In the preface of this letter, we'll read a few excerpts as we go along here. You talk about, uh, you say, as I travel both within and outside of our diocese, I find that everywhere, 
Individuals are desperately seeking fulfillment, peace, and happiness. Even in my encounters with other Catholic people, it is not unusual to hear admissions of restlessness and uncertainty flowing through the stuff of their everyday lives. So obviously you're sensing that, that people need to hear from their bishop. Right, and they, they needed to know where we were standing in terms of the church. What did the church really mean or could mean to them and to us? Well, and this is a good time to bring this up. Obviously, I think we're living in some some really uh, some un, uncertain times. We'll call them. You know, we have uh, we're in the midst of a, a very difficult economy. You know, we're in a world that's that's still marred by you know war and destruction, uh, and of course, we're suffering a barrage of attacks on the moral truths of our faith. So, your your title of this is is very intriguing. That our joy may be complete. How are we supposed to experience joy? At times like these, these are not joyful times, if you look at them. It's almost how we are looking at our church in terms of seeing it as an organization or seeing it as a way of life. And within that way of life, we are going to find God. We're going to find Jesus Christ. We're going to find God's plans for us. And if I'm secure with Christ's plans for me, whether it's success or disappointments, whether it's, uh, it's uh, I'm feeling gloomy or I'm feeling sick, you know, there is God. You know, and, and if I'm secure in that, that's the kind of joy that we're talking about, that I can still move on in life because I'm a child of God. And God is taking care of me. Well, we can certainly look at those who have gone before us, those that wonderful, shining examples, especially those like St. Paul. And we can look at his life, and he was very clear that a lot of things in his life were not, um, we'll just say, smooth. He had lots of things. In fact, in his uh, second letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 11, he lists several things. He's recalling some of the things that have happened to him, and he lists Five times I had the 39 lashes. Three times I have been beaten with sticks. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. And he goes on and on, lists all these terrible things that have happened to him. Yet still, St. Paul, when he's writing the Philippians, you know, he's talking about this joy, this joy of being a Christian. And and the beautiful thing, just like you're saying, you know, you're, that God is here. St. Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 4, he says, the Lord is very near. There is no need to worry. That's exactly the point. If we realize that the Lord is near, God is with us, incarnated with us. And with that knowledge, we can move and we can be and we can do however we will in, in that. Uh, that's why St. Paul is always saying, rejoice. You know, I, I say it again, rejoice. You know, that's our lot. Well, okay, so let's talk about joy now. You know, in this day and age, in this world, our ideas of joy vary depending on who you're talking to. So someone might be listening to saying, well, is, is Bishop Stibe telling us that now we're going to have a three-car garage and we're going to win the lottery? Is that the kind of joy you're talking about? <laughs> Not the kind of joy I'm talking about. That's the kind of joy that goes outside, you know, that, that, that outside of us. The joy that I'm talking about is inside. It goes inward. It's my being. It's my 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 soul it's it's the it's a unity between my body and my soul between my spirituality and my and living my regular lives out it's putting it all together in harmony with god as jesus was in harmony with god and as he was in harmony with all of creation so that's put together it brings a peace in me yeah. that i can then move on from there to live in the marketplaces of my life well, you specifically talk about in your letter, you, you, you do say that, uh, that this joy basically 
is living in God. It's in God's love, in God's peace, and in God's will. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's where Jesus found his joy, and that's where we find that joy as well. That's where we find a joy. And in, and basically it's also referring to even in the Acts of the of the Apostles, that when the when the early church was starting, they talk about what's this way of life? What are these Christians doing? What is this new way? And that's basically what we're saying that they, they found joy even in the persecution that was going on. The title of your letter, Bishop, is "Living Our Catholicism." How how do we do that? What what does that mean to truly live our Catholicism? It means uh, being at home with you know, my faith and my belief in God. And if I'm at home with that, it does not everything I do, how I live, how I move, is affected by that. God is involved, you know, in that. Mm-hmm. It then means that the way I'm thinking, the way I'm serving others, the way I'm helping others um, is affected by my belief, and I will treat them and work with them in this way. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a um, Sunday go-to-mass component. It's not just, a, oh, I'll go to confession once a month, once a year. It's, it's the whole of me operating as Jesus would. And I think it's interesting that you point out that I think a lot of people have the view of the church that l- literally there are a lot of rules, a lot of obligations, a lot of you know check marks that you're supposed to be mm-hmm. checking mm-hmm. off. In fact, mm-hmm. when I teach the RCIA classes, one of the first questions I always get is, you know, why does it take eight or nine months to become a Catholic? Why do we have to learn all this stuff? And why all these rules? And I think that some people have the idea that we're nothing but a church of rules. Right, and they see it only as the as the the human element it or the organizational church, whereas the church is both human and divine, and the part that we 're looking at is more the divine we 're united with with God, united with Jesus Christ, and living our lives in that unity at the same time though we don 't want to say that we 're going to jettison all the the disciplines and 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 the the loving um, rules that our church has laid out for us, how do we reconcile what the church asks us to do in participating in holiness and sanctification and and, and salvation and this idea that it's not about the rules? Well, all of the rules and the the obligations we have are all there for specific reasons. Uh, It's uh, One has to see the whole broad picture for that. And if I were living my way of life, you know, through Catholicism, I wouldn't need those rules. I would be living it anyway. Because I would be following those, and even when we talk about the doctrines, that's all fits into the whole picture to help us live this way of life. Not as well, you can do this, but you can't do that. It's what is it that the, that I am supposed to be doing and living, and let me live it that way, so I don't have to worry then about the rules, the obligation, because I would be following them anyway. And sometimes it's wonderful. It's, an, it's a great opportunity for us to actually to take a step back and try to look at the big picture yes. and not look at just this aspect or just this element. It can be wrong, I think, you know, or it can give you an aberrant view of something if you're so close to it that you can't see the big picture. So if you focus only on rules and obligations, you're missing the picture. But then again, if you totally focus only on another element and you ignore the other, you're not seeing the church that Christ built. That's right. You've, uh, you've limited the church 
and in some places you, you're idolizing a particular aspect of the church, whereas the big picture shows it's all part of you know you know of God, and we fit into that. That's the whole universality of it all. That's the the beauty of the Catholicism of it all. Well, wonderful, Bishop. We're going to get in some more of the meat of this actual letter. We'll read some excerpts from the letter as we continue. But before we do that, I do want to take a moment and remind people that we have a wonderful website that they can visit. It's www.thecatholiccafe.com. And on that website, they're going to find this particular show. You'll be able to listen to it or download it in an MP3 format. And all the other shows that we've done. Uh, as well. You can also find some wonderful links to other Catholic resources on the web. And you can also email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So with that, we're going to be right back. Stay with us. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Philip Neri loved a good joke. He was known to be impulsive and unpredictable, yet funny and amiable. His gift was to show the humorous side to holiness. Born in 1515 in Florence, Italy, St. Philip realized his religious calling early in life. As a young man, he spent much of his free time in a mountaintop chapel. It is said that in those hours of prayer, he decided to leave his worldly passions behind and dedicate his life to God. He attended university in Rome. While there, he found great comfort in praying at night, in churches, in the streets, wherever he could find a place to stop and pray. One particular night, in the catacombs of San Sebastiano, he experienced an epiphany, which led him to start teaching the faith and offering spiritual advice to the young men of Rome. He was so successful, and his methods were so well received by those he worked with, that an oratory had to be built to house his new lay ministry. St. Philip was ordained a priest in 1551 and continued to run his thriving and immensely popular oratory. He took great joy in teaching the Orthodox faith in an unorthodox manner. He often used gentle humor to encourage humility in those who sought his help. One man wanted to wear a horsehair shirt as mortification. St. Philip allowed it, but told him he must wear it on the outside of his clothes. The man agreed and found true humility in the jokes and ribbing he received. A fellow priest was prideful after preaching a wonderful sermon, so St. Philip commanded him to preach the same sermon six times in a row so that everyone would think he had only one sermon. Through this exercise in humility, the priest realized the inherent dangers of the sin of pride. While St. Philip Neri was known to be fun and good-natured, he was very serious about his faith, and many in the church sought his guidance. Priests, bishops, cardinals, and even popes were known to look to St. Philip for advice in spiritual matters. But with all his success, St. Philip never lost sight of his calling to serve the common people of God. In fact, when one pope wanted to elevate him to cardinal, he gently refused, saying he felt he could do more good in the streets of Rome than in the halls of the church. St. Philip died a joyful man in 1595. His unfailing good humor has resulted in his being named the patron saint of joy. His feast day is May 26th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. 
And we're back once again at the Catholic Cafe. We're sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I, I think we're extra luxurious today because the bishop's here with us. He didn't leave during our break, which was a good sign. <laughs> That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Not that we've had any guests leave because as long as we keep filling up the cup you, of coffee, yeah, they you, like to stay and chat. Yeah, plus you have good manners. You're... I'm doing the best I You're can, Tom. <laughs> I appreciate that. Bishop, thanks for staying, and, and we're going to continue on, I think. Uh, you need a refill on your cup of coffee? Are you no, okay? I'm, I'm fine. Thank All you. All right. Very good. Very good. So let's talk a little bit about your letter in specific and a couple of other areas. You, know, you stressed that uh, we can only find true fulfillment in God. Nothing else will satisfy. You know, so how do we overcome? You know, we live in a world filled with worldly desires that are constantly pounding us. How do we keep that sense of God in everything? And how do we tame that which, you know, the world would have us drawn to? You know, very often we think that we will reach our fulfillment if we look at the things out there, you know. Uh, even even our whole culture teaches that in the sense that, you know, at Christmas time I, will, I wanted a bicycle, and as I grew old I wanted a, uh, a little bit more, I wanted a car, and, and I was finding out that once I've gotten those, they have not they've satisfied me for a while, but it's not, there's always that desire for more. What is this more and what? And I would submit that that more that I want is God. That would be the most satisfying thing I could have. And, and, and very often we're striving to find it through objects rather than looking going to God to find it. And I think if we look at God, we'll find the desire, we'll, we'll find the peace we're looking at, we'll That's find right. the joy we're looking at, and then all the other things that I'm looking for will fall in their places. Mm-hmm. That's right, because the things themselves are finite. I mean, they're, they're created things that can only give you a limited amount of, of pleasure, joy, fulfillment, and you get to that, like you say, you know, you get to the point where, okay, I've, I've climbed this mountain. Oh, look, there's a bigger mountain over there. And you keep, there's always a bigger mountain to That's climb. Correct. That's and correct. And what you're saying is because God's infinite, you know, so that means infinite fulfillment, infinite joy, and then that he's at the top of the highest mountain you could ever even imagine. That's correct. And as long as we keep him there, because it's a difficult thing, I think, in this world. Uh, you know, we're all pulled and drawn in so many different ways. And you, you just watch TV for a half hour, and you're inundated with these ideas that maybe that your fulfillment is in this particular uh, uh, soap or mm-hmm, that particular mm-hmm, car mm-hmm. Uh, or whatever. But really, that's not where it is. That's not where it is. You know, and, and, and unfortunately, we kind of made it to be that way. But if we could just twist this a little bit. To have people look more inwardly towards, you know, God and the fulfillment that God could bring to them, then it would be much better. And we'd find ourselves living as community, willing to look out and help others within that process. Well, and that's wonderful. And one of the things you point out in your letter that's so nice is that that we don't have to imagine this, that, that God, in his divine wisdom, you know, in his plan of salvation, I'm sure he thought, well, I don't know what he thought, but I'm hoping I'm right, that he thought... <laughs> Jesus Christ, my son, is going to be on earth, and he's going to be a living example that people can pattern. We don't have to imagine what it would be like, what Christian example we can use, what better Christian example than Christ himself, right? That's correct, because Jesus is real. You know, human and divine. He was a real person, historical person. He walked the earth. He taught us, and he taught us what the expectations of his father and how do we fit into that so it's just simply right to do that. The beauty of him, of God becoming man, the incarnation, the whole concept of the incarnation is a beautiful, wonderful example. We can, if he can do it as a man, he's saying we can do it. You know, Jesus got baptized in River Jordan. You know, we can get baptized. Mm-hmm. Jesus suffered. 
You know, mm -hmm. we can suffer. Jesus was resurrected. You know, and part of this joy, you know, the joy of the resurrection, we too can participate in that same joy. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, upon death, resurrection is in store for us as well. That's right. And Jesus went out and taught. So can we with our lives. Jesus went out and healed. So can we. Jesus went out and, and, and literally tried to help people to make them better persons. So can we. That's our call. And that's where you get into this concept of re-envisioning our Catholic way of life. That's right. Where we have, we've talked about the lists and the rules and the f sort of pharisaical understanding mm -hmm. of a church. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, now what you're talking about is we have to think, we have to take our Catholic way of life to the next level. We have to apply it. We have to do, we can't sit on the couch anymore, Bishop. We've got to get up and do something. That's correct. Because that's what all the sacraments call us to do and to be. Not just individually, subjectively for me, but objectively for all of us. That's why we form this community. So we can go out and can help and be a service to one another so that it can be said of us what was said of the early Christians. See how they love one another. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And again, you, you, you speak of the sacraments. And one of the beauties of the Catholic Church is this is a, another one of God's great creations. His idea that we're going to need some help along the way. We're going to need some grace, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why these sacraments are so wonderful. And we, we encourage all of our, our, our Catholic brothers and sisters to really wake up and understand that mm -hmm. God loves you so much. He's given you this fuel along the way so that you can do all of these wonderful things that you're called to do. That's correct. And if you look at all the sacraments, they, they touch the very basic of our lives. You know, uh, we celebrate those birth, uh, nourishment, death. We celebrate that. That's joyful. You have a wonderful passage here and it's uh, paragraph number 25 and it says, when so many of our parishes take time at Christmas to have angel trees that give toys and clothes to children, when youth groups throughout our diocese create and deliver food baskets to families in need, when gardens are created within a parish so that people can have the fresh vegetables without having to pay for them, when Catholic charities places an adopted child with a family, when people from our diocese travel to some of the developing nations in our world to assist the efforts to bring dignity to the lives of, of the native people, when we take seriously the plight of the poor right here in our own city and take action to help improve their lives, we are together as a church, showing our love for one another and our love for God. This is how we spread the kingdom and how we are church. That's exactly it. Or for us, as we say in the diocese, that you know, our mission is to go out to proclaim the good news and to proclaim the good news spiritually, educationally, socially. And in doing that, we are demonstrating, we're showing people the face of Jesus. And, you know, you also, in this letter, you have a chapter subtitled Intentionality. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think, for me, when I read that, that was a code word for act. It was, it was do something. Do it and mean it. That's you know? right. Be intentional about it in the sense, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm called to do. And this is what I'm going to do. As we, as we start to do this more and more, we will start to receive incremental joy and things will grow and we'll be joyful. But, you know, we'll probably also have those pitfalls. You know, we'll start on this path of righteousness and we'll do things that are good. And then suddenly uh, things will start not going our way. And maybe the evil one, who knows, is going to start throwing some things in our way. You know, and you make a wonderful connection in this letter uh, between the crosses that the early Christians bore. Uh, some of them unto death. We have uh, yes. several martyrs in our yes. church. 
And of course, you connect that to the crosses that we bear today, living a moral life in this particular world, for instance. Can you expand on the thought of how we're going to deal with, with those crosses that we have to bear now and still have that joy? Mm-hmm. And we, we unite those crosses to the cross of Jesus Christ. That, you know, even even Christ in his own suffering said, you know, Father, if it's possible, you know, take this cross away from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And I think that's how we have to look at it, too, that, yes, we're going to have those bumps in the road. We're going to have the crosses that we have, have to carry, but we carry those crosses along with Jesus Christ, and we let Christ help us to carry that, that, that cross. And then we find out that in doing this, I can still have peace within myself as I carry that cross. And I don't let the cross overcome me. In reading this letter, I got this sense that if if we are busy in our lives filling ourselves up with things of the world, we don't have as much room to fill ourselves up with God. And so sometimes sort of, I don't want to say submission so much as I want to say just being open to God's promptings, right? Mm -hmm. That if we're Mm -hmm. open to that, that means that we're, be, we're willing to fill ourselves up with God. That gives us all the more grace, all the more spirit to go and do what God has called us to do. That's right. And that's why in the pastoral I also suggest that we might want to look at the pastoral and read it as a group. Come together and mm-hmm. talk about it and discuss it. You know, what's happening in your life? What's happening in my life? What's bringing me joy? And what's bringing me fulfillment in that? Or what are the, the crosses I'm, I'm, I'm carrying so that together... We can, we can move, we can be living our lives as this community carrying us forward. Just like we're doing here, Bishop, in this little right. luxurious corner booth, you and I and Tom are sitting here chatting about our Catholicism, chatting about what God's called us to do, and maybe some of the crosses we might bear, etc. And so it's an, a wonderful opportunity. And one of the things I love about your pastoral letter, at the back of it, mm-hmm. we have these wonderful discussion questions. You know, just to kind of mm-hmm. kickstart that conversation so that mm-hmm. if you're in your church Bible study, if you're in the altar society or whatever group at your church or maybe even at your home, mm-hmm. uh, maybe at your place of work, you got a couple of folks that are interested in this topic, pull out this pastoral letter, read through it, and then start talking about it. And so much stuff is done when you just talk about things. That's right. That's it. I do want to take this opportunity now, though, to tell people to encourage them. They need to read this pastoral letter. That they need to uh, they need to listen to the bishop. The bishop has something to say, and we need to we need to offer that that obedience to our bishop. So we want to hear what he has to say about this. And there are copies of this particular pastoral letter at all the different parishes, the Catholic parishes in the diocese of Memphis. You can find this. You can also go online to the diocesan website, which is www.cdom.org. or you can link to the diocesan website through my website at the Catholic Cafe. So, Bishop, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're quite welcome. Now, I'll tell you what, we're going to end. We always end in prayer, but we're going to actually pray for you, if that's okay, if you don't mind that. Oh, I don't mind that at all. (laughs) Lord our God, you have chosen your servant, Terry, to be a shepherd of your flock in the tradition of the apostles. Give him a spirit of courage and right judgment, a spirit of knowledge and love. By governing with fidelity those entrusted to his care, may he build your church as a sign of salvation for the world. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.